very warm welcome to a special edition of this Sunday's game. Now we've under a week to go before GGE Convention 2020 and while we were hoping to have a candidate's presentation, we weren't able to get across the line this time around due to work commitments. However, we have a show that is going to really bring home the commonality between all of us in Europe, no matter where our club or nation is located. With a year that's seen on-field action almost fully wiped out and the history-making pan-euros postponed in Galicia, we've made great strides as an organisation off the field because we've been using this time to set up durable structures and processes to promote ourselves and to continue growing while also keeping hope alive in our community. One of the perennial complaints that we hear is how we are so tied to funding and support from Crow Park and Ireland. So we're going to ask is that a bad thing or just a starting point? And where could GGE be in 2030? And just how can we continue to grow even more self-sufficient? Joining me today to discuss these topics and more are GGE's chairperson, Tony Bass, and our sponsorship officer, Dermot O'Donovan. Both men have been to the forefront in securing funding and sponsorship for our organization. So I'm going to begin by asking them both to give their takes on the good and the bad from 2020. A very warm welcome to the first This Sunday's Game of November. The nights are getting longer, the days getting shorter, and it's getting a little bit chillier in most places. Uh, so I'm delighted to welcome on to GGE to warm up the cockles of our hearts, the GGE chairperson, Tony Bass. Tony, you're very welcome. Thanks, Alan. And our sponsorship officer all the way from, well, I don't know where he is right now. He's usually down in the, the, the sunny shores of Spain surfing, Dermot O'Donovan. How are you doing, Dermot? Uh, not too bad, yeah. The subcockle area is uh, as toasty as ever, lad here, Alan. <laughs> okay. Um, listen, we've had a, a, a strange old year. Both of you have been on the show with me and we've had good chats about what we're doing and what we need to do and what's being done. Um, I'll, I'll start off, Tony, with you. Just um, has this year been a complete write-off or have you seen any kind of, you know, good, bright sparks in, in, in our year so far in 2020? Uh, um, it's, yeah, it's been a year like no other. Um, very frustrating on the games front um, because yeah, an awful lot of our clubs haven't been able to play much, if at all, uh, during the year. Um, and I know that, you know, that, that's very frustrating, um, particularly in my own case, like in Maastricht, where we'd had a bit of a resurgence in interest in the club and we had 40 plus out training and all of a sudden it comes to an end. It's really frustrating. Um, and we're currently in, in lockdown in, in Holland. So, um, yeah, not, not a whole lot going to happen. And, you know, really we're looking ahead another year probably of, of similar frustrations and, and restrictions and things. Having said that, though, I mean... You know, the organisation behind the scenes has been working away on different things. And I'm particularly delighted that uh, we've got regional structures really well bedded down and a functional committee now in every area. I was just happened to be in, in preparing for convention next weekend, looking back over some of my old secondaries reports. Back in 2010, I was saying the future of, of Europe is actually to have more devolution to the regions, equip them with budgets, things like that. And uh, that's what we've been trying to do this year, as well as setting up a subcommittee structure. I mean, when, when you think back about it, when I got involved um, what, 16 years ago, there were 14 clubs. It was easy to organise as one simple committee. Uh, but now, like with 90 plus clubs spread over 24 countries or whatever it is now, you know, there's no one size fits all. And, you, and there never was. Uh, every club is different. Every region is different. Um, and that's why I've always seen it as important to get these structures in place. And then to have the regions... Um, joining in on European level subcommittees like your own PR committee or um, you know, um, you know coaching committees or whatever, so that every region is represented, and in that way we can really get you know more involvement from people. And I, I love seeing people get involved. You know, I don't have to agree with them, but I, I just love people who are enthusiastic and energetic volunteers. Um, and you know, somehow, like if we've different, you know, if we've different opinions on how you know which way to go on things, that's fine. We can work them out. But the main thing is you need people who are interested. And the value of, of creating all these structures now is we're setting up subcommittees, which is a great place for people to get involved to a certain extent, but without jumping in and committing themselves in, in a huge way that can put people off sometimes when they think about the volume of work involved in, say, going on the European Committee or taking on an officership. But now there's pathways for people to get involved, particularly in areas they like, whether it be youth 
or Kamogi or handball or, um, you know, PO or whatever it might be. So I think that that's been a good thing. I, I suppose the other real frustrating thing was that um, three years ago, um, I, I made a commitment at convention to up the income levels, and this will come around to, uh, to Germany's area. And I said that we'd we'd get an income of over 100,000 a year within three years. And we had just managed that last year. Um, and then all of a sudden, of course, our main funding tap is, is turned off because of the difficulties in Ireland where the vast preponderance of our, of our, you know, our potential funding sources are. And that's difficult for everyone, whether it be the GEA centrally or indeed potential sponsors. Um, and I'm sure Jeremy can talk about more about this, but it, it's quite difficult to get sponsors in Europe, especially at a European-wide level. That's it, Tony, because we, we we're spread across with so many languages and nationalities and like, you know, legal restrictions from country to country. And that's, you know, leading across then to Germany. I mean, Germany, first of all, like what has been the high points for you this year? And secondly, um, you have had success in two ways, uh, not on the field this year, off the field. You had effects in, in getting links with sponsors that can potentially, you know, work with us in the future and also uh, the establishment of another new club. You know, uh, when this whole thing came about with COVID and the kind of the, 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 the ending of the season, as we might otherwise have had it on the pitch, uh, it changed the format in which uh, clubs operated all throughout Europe. Uh, the, the, the main raison d'etre of the club to play the game and, uh, and, 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 and kind of promote the game kind of became secondary to like a social function um, and a uh, kind of a, a place, a safe, safe place where people could communicate and feel at home. And within that kind of context, I suppose it gets to be more difficult to um, sell uh, tournament rights or uh, kind of getting companies to see what the immediate benefit is to getting financially involved with sponsorship. With this kind of reorientation of the club structure, at least for the time being, uh, to more of a social one, it kind of um, made it possible for me to um, start communicating with them without them immediately suspecting that I was trying to for money out of their pocket and as a result of that I think that while it's a massive handicap in the short term in terms of our potential to directly attract investment um, it's a great opportunity to form connections with new companies and build a lasting relationship that hopefully can we can will bear fruit as time goes on uh, specifically in that respect, for example, uh, in GGE, um, JJ ran a great series of quizzes during the summer and uh, got great involvement all throughout Europe. And I was able to use that as a, a bridge to opening up new connections with the likes of Bally Malou, Cooper, Hurls, uh, well, uh, Helmets and Gear, and with uh, a Hurley supplier up in Antrim. Lots of different companies that weren't actually able to commit physically at the time, but in many ways uh, it got, it opened a dialectic. And if you kind of take a softly, softly approach and use the opportunities that we are given despite the hardship of the time, um, there can be a positivity that comes out of it eventually. The, the work was terrific. And again, you mentioned JJ Keighley down in Madrid. I mean, putting the quiz as you did together was no mean feat. And of course, um, also, you had the um, a, a very, very good initiative down in Valencia with the kind of the pub session. Yeah, and of course, yeah, that was a fantastic thing. Um, like for a long time, we've had a relationship with Hombres uh, de la Calle in Valencia, um, which is basically a charity that helps promote, um, well, not promote, but directly provide uh, food and uh, and, uh, and clothing and all that sort of thing for the homeless in Valencia and along with the local Celtic supporters group, we've been uh, very involved with that, different fundraising events over the years. Uh, our local pub, uh, down there, St. Pat's, which have been great sponsors for years, uh, along with the club decided that seeing that we weren't able to meet together uh, physically for a couple of pints, we might as well do it virtually. And we uh, decided to use that as an opportunity to raise funds for uh, local charities and through our friends in Omri Zilakai we uh, got to know Caritas who are uh, basically a homeless shelter that directly again provide for the needs of the most vulnerable in society. Uh, when 
to, to be cynical about it, you could say, um, from a sponsorship opportunity, by demonstrating that this club is uh, an active participant in the community at large, you form the basis for authenticity, for trust with companies uh, that can act as a bridge further down the line to financial and support opportunities, um, while at the same time achieving something very uh, worthy in and of itself. So uh, yeah, no, we had a series of concerts, brought everybody together, everybody had a few pints, and uh, yeah, we all did well, it was great. Uh, that with a, a sort of a session or you know musical cultural sort of performance, can we work that into a, a European wide score com, uh, competition, possibly online or probably online? And how important is it for clubs to get involved with local charities? I think it's hugely important that, that clubs are part of their communities. Um, now, community is is a very elastic. Uh, concept and term, but at the, at the very least, we have a community amongst our members, families and friends um, and clubs have been doing wonderful things there. I, I take the point um, about SCORE, and for those who don't know about SCORE, it's the, the cultural arm if you like, of, of the GEA and uh, especially back in Ireland, there would be, a, you know, every, every year there's annual competitions between clubs, which involve cultural activities, everything from table quizzes to the, the classic Irish one, the recitation, through to, um, you know, dancing and, and, and music and things like that. And, you know, if you look at it, it would have been very difficult for us to do something like that in Europe because of bringing people together and whatever. The whole online community that we've got used to over, over this year, because we're all now doing video meetings every day sort of thing, or not all, but a lot of people are, and have got a lot more comfortable with it. And indeed, that's the way SCORE is going forward in Ireland uh, in the year ahead. They're going to do it actually as um, an online competition. So I don't see any reason why, you know, again, Europe couldn't get involved in that and be as involved as any GA club in Ireland or indeed anywhere in the world. Uh, we can get involved with things like that. And indeed, you know, it's been one of those head scratches for years. What can we do to promote the cultural side of the organisation? Uh, and now we see a way. So in a way, again, that's something that has sort of come up through COVID. But again, we, we can see pathways that we, we can get more engaged there. Um, and indeed, even you know, the changes in the structures and competitions and things may actually be something that would benefit us in, in allowing us to compete at, at, at county levels, you know, low county levels, maybe, you know, uh, in the future. But I'm just looking at proposals there for the, the All-Ireland Junior Championship. Um, and there's going to be, a, you know, a new uh, junior football championship proposal, uh, at least coming out, uh, which caters for the likes of Kilkenny, uh, Britain uh, and other places. And, uh, you know, they're going to run that off over the weekend in Ireland to avoid the, you know, cost minimisation and things like that. So, again, that suddenly, you know, makes it tenable, if not immediately feasible for, um, you know, a European team to be able to like, target something like that and compete in it. Uh, because of the very fact that it's contained over one weekend and there wouldn't be numerous trips involved. So again, you know, even despite COVID and all that, there are potential possibilities for Europe going forward. But how have we failed as an organisation in terms of getting uh, independence from Cove Park in terms of finance? And what can we do to remedy it? So Dermot, same to you in just a moment. I'll ask Tony first. Well, I suppose, yeah, we'd already alluded to the difficulties of attracting sponsors. Look, I, I have a very simple philosophy. We can have loads of ideas, but we, need, we usually need some amount of finance to put a lot of them into practice. Um, and that's why I targeted finance um, a few years back as being one of the big areas that we need to work in. But, you know, these things don't happen overnight. You, you spend a lot of time teeing them up, talking to the right people, uh, putting in place, for instance, our development plan. Um, you know, we developed a, a you know a fairly comprehensive development plan um, a year and a half ago. That wasn't just to have a plan; that was to enable us to get funding because a lot of the funding is based on having a plan. Uh, the days of you know just writing a check because you're nice guys uh, that that's long over in the GA. You now have to you're, you're almost challenged at every um, potential funding stream to pr present proposals or plans or to you know to know what you, rather than put the hand out and say give us the money, they say what do you want the money for. And we have to have a cogent plan in place in order to do that. Um, and so by putting that development plan in place, it, it allowed me then to, to go and lobby for more funding. And, and you know, we got an extra 40,000 euro grant last year. And the, the plan was that that would increase this year, of course, with all the financial problems uh, back in GIC. 
Uh, it's something I read today that between this year and next year to be a net loss of 38 million. But having said that, I, I also see that in the, the third tranche of, of uh, support funding that is envisaged um, from government sources and things in Ireland, that the international units are actually included as one of the priorities in that. So hopefully there will be some funding coming down, coming down the, the, the channels from, from Ireland. Um, one of the proposals that we had last year at convention was that every region would get funding based on you know a, a sort of a flat amount of funding followed by um, a top up then based on, on the size of membership in each region. I think that's very fair, very equitable, and indeed you know gives regions and indeed countries and federations some funding to start with. It's going to be a process. It's going to take years to grow into where certainly I'd like to see it. But ultimately, you know, I, I would see Europe more developing into more like a provincial council with the different countries than more like counties in the GA sense. Okay. And in the same way in Ireland where, you know, the Leinster Council will provide overall sort of supports in terms of coaching and things like that. But the individual counties will do their own things within a framework. And that's the sort of vision I would have for Europe okay. going forward. Well, Alan, uh, I mean, just as to the government or the funding from Leinster Council and all that sort of thing. I couldn't claim to be any kind of an expert. Uh, little next to no knowledge in it. Um, however, to me, the more, the stronger the, the, the grassroots of the whole thing are, the more uh, substantial your capacity to interact with, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the community at large, and thereby your social reach increases, thereby your economic capacity is more attractive. Um, it was interesting that Tony was alluding there earlier to the growth of the regions. I, I really have a great belief in the capacity of creating integrated units within these areas that would be much more attractive to regionally based sponsors. Um, but these units really have to be developed strongly and to have integrity. And the, when I say integrity, I mean, obviously, I, mean, I don't, don't mean a trust integrity. I mean, I don't, what I mean is uh, they have to be extant in a coherent way. Uh, that is to say, like all of their unit parts have to be strong and that really ultimately comes down to the clubs. Um, and the way I'd sort of look at any uh, money we might possibly get from Leinster or anything like that as kind of almost like seed capital, if we can use that to help the game itself grow and our community reach grow, uh, the sponsors come afterwards. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to sell something that doesn't exist, <laughs> um, but it's quite easy to sell something that is uh, immediately obvious uh, to the world. Like, for example, um, Galicia uh, up there, um, Pius Brogan, um, our great club of, of Anacaronia that were supposed to be the hosts of this year's uh, Pan-European Games, which unfortunately won't be going ahead. Um, they have managed to kind of integrate themselves into the community of Acaronia at large. They're in the newspapers, they're on the local television, um, they're on the radio. The, it's, it's absolutely normal for them to be going out to schools to kind of get kids to play. There's public awareness of the fact that they're an entity, a coherent entity. And as a result of that, I, I've never known a club that I, in Iberia that's had more kind of commercial uh, opportunities. If you see every every member of that club, for example, gets gets a membership card with about ten different sponsors on the card, and each of them get a, a small discount. But also, the, these sponsors get opportunities, exposure. And they've got an awful lot to offer, and there's no real reason for uh, that mentality not to be applied on a regional basis, and you know, ultimately, with a bit of luck on a, on, a, on a continental one. Um, but like you're kind of putting the, the kind of cart before the horse a little bit if you don't sort of support the uh, the, 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 the fundamental growth of the, the club structure. Uh, the way I would sort of see the coherency of um, the sustainable sustainability of uh, GG in general, um, aside from its dependence on direct financing from Leinster, is to become more integrated into uh, the European identity uh, to become fundamental to um, part of being involved with GE becomes is a part of expressing a way to live uh, in a European sense and that will uh, that integrity again allows you to attract 
um, more sponsors and thereby eventually, eventually sort of ideally um, sustainability on a financial level. Okay. You were mentioning about the new club in Russia. Well, yeah, fundamentally, um, the, what made me think uh, of this club as a, as a good example of this concept is that obviously in and of themselves, they're one small new club um, and you couldn't say it at all because of them we're going to be millionaires or something like that. But what you can say is that it gives internal coherency to the concept of Gaelic football in Russia. Uh, and once that becomes an established reality uh, on a footballing level, um, and if these clubs are active on a social and a personal level, uh, the potential for the entity of Russian Gaelic football becomes that bit more attractive to other companies or potential sponsors. And once these sponsors see that you are something of substance and not like a club about Alan Moore or a club about Dermot, or you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, these things, they need integrity, coherency. And once they have both of these factors, then they become attractive because when it comes to, <laughs> to the uh, use of limited resources, trust is really fundamental. And that really kind of comes back to what I was trying to say at the start of the podcast when you were talking about uh, the limited opportunities, limited direct financial opportunities that I've had in the year that was due to uh, the COVID reality and the lack of having something to sell. But on a deeper level, it's allowed us to build the concept of trust uh, between us and potential sponsors that eventually reaps rewards. Okay. See, I'm a farmer by nature, Alan. <laughs> You're reaping what you sow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, brilliant idea. Um, I'm going to finish up with a couple of small questions for both of you. I'll, I'll start with Tony on this one. Tony, where do you see GGE in 10 years' time? Same question will be to you, Dermot, as well. Where do you see GGE in 2030? I, I would see it in tandem with changes that are happening, which I won't go into boring details, but you know, more flexibility for international units to structure themselves and things like that, which was due to come online through a special Congress and that didn't happen. So now to be February, but yeah, certainly there will be. And again, it's something that I've been working on on the World GA committee for years was to, was to get much more flexibility that we're not rooted in Irish structures and things like that all the time. Cause these just patently don't suit us a lot of the time. Um, so again, you know, the, there's a move towards having a more general sort of constitution for the international units, and then they would have a lot more flexibility in how they interpret that. And, and I think that's something that we in, in Europe have recognised for a decade now that's required. And certainly I, I've been working to, to do that. But, you know, when you're dealing with people back in Ireland whose only experience is really the Irish situation, it's hard to to win them around and to convince them about things. So as I said earlier, yeah, I would see in 10 years' time that hopefully what is now Gaelic Games Europe will be an overarching coordinating body uh, using its clout of all the clubs and members, etc., cetera, to, um, to, to, to get funding to do certain things. Um, and, and here's the classic one. You know, I often, people would often say to me, especially the chair and secretary over the years, I oh, like, you get the money in, but we never see any of it. And, and just to give you a practical example, you know, we, we get just over 10,000 a year from Leinster. If we gave every club a share of that, it'd be just over 100 euros each, which, you know, for some clubs would be a lot of money. For a lot of clubs, it wouldn't be much. But on the other hand, if we take that 10 grand and say, right, we're now going to fund some fundamental development project. And when you take the example of the schools project that was initiated in, in Brittany, uh, Britannia, in France, where we were able to give 5,000 euros of funding to a brilliant project, which is about producing materials and resources for school teachers to bring Gaelic games into every school, in the, not just in the region, but eventually throughout France. So you'd have a load of um, culturally appropriate as well as linguistically appropriate. A lot of people talk about it's just about language, but it's not. There's different cultures in every, in every country that we operate in. And what works culturally in Russia or Spain might not work in Holland or Norway. Yeah. So again, you know, we, we have to look at how we do things. Uh, so there will, you know, it, it'd be great to be able to provide every club with a few thousand euros each year to, you know, for equipment and things like that. But we're nowhere near that at the moment. So we're always going to have this, uh, how do I put it, you know, healthy tension between funding the clubs and then funding things that we can do better at a more coordinated European level. And in time, we'll be able to push that down 
to the regions and hopefully as more funding comes on stream down to even more local levels so that we can support initiatives, whether it be putting in, in place, um, as they have done in, in parts of the United States, of part-time coaches, which are funded from the centre but work locally. But again, yeah, I, I would see this as more a coordinating organisation with the regions. And indeed, you know, in 10 years time, I'd hope that to be certainly the larger countries like Spain, France, Germany, etc. They would actually be running their own affairs to a large extent. OK, Jeremy, same to you. Um, and of course, when we mentioned the, because uh, we we're joking earlier today about the different dialects and different, you know, kind of uh, within Spain itself. Um, how would you see it? unfolding in 2030 where do you see GGE in 10 years time well hopefully at least Dublin size <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> but um, yeah it's sorry Tony was talking about uh, the, the Breton initiative uh, which is a highly commendable thing I actually have a Breton godchild uh, oh. uh, she lives in Duranez I'm just going to Shout out to Nook there. I'm sure she's tuning in. Uh, <laughs> the local. <laughs> I'll, I'll tag her in especially. I'll tag her in. Yeah, that's it. But for me, personally, it'd be really magic to see uh, my godchild uh, going through a program sponsored by GG, or at least part of the general GG family, uh, training all the way up, um, forming bonds, relationships with people all throughout the continent, uh, growing personally through the medium Gaelic football, and having a kind of a, an exposure to an international lifestyle uh, while at the same time having like, you know, obviously great physical, uh, healthy moments uh, on the pitch. So um, when you say, how do I see the thing in 10 years? Well, I mean, fundamentally, uh, this can't be something that is just looking backwards towards Ireland. It has to be, get uh, coherent identity and stronger, more rooted uh, development within uh, as a, the continent as a thing in itself, rather than a, a pale reflection of uh, an Irish uh, concept. I suppose we use the Irish context sometimes just to, to reference things, um, and I would see yeah we will develop very differently because we're we're operating in a different environment. Uh, Ireland has the benefit of operating in one country; we're, we're operating across twenty plus. But again, I, yeah, I mean, as Alan and I have discussed previously on the podcast, you know, there, there's lots of things we need to be doing. And in fact, in, in 10 years time, I suppose if you really want to ask me my cherished ambition, I'd like to see, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of kids playing Gaelic games, because that will be the future. And unless we invest in the, you know, putting in place the resources and the personnel to do that, it won't happen of its own. Um, and you know, one of the things that we were already looking at, and, and we hoped to, had hoped to do next year, but we had to put it back a year, was things like a European youth event of some sort. Um, and even the challenge of doing that in terms of the cost of doing it is huge. But having had the, the benefit of being able to see what they've, they've done in Britain uh, and with the ABCs, the All Britain um, Championships, or um, the, the CYC in the States, the Continental Youth Championships, where there's nearly 10,000 people involved now, it's grown to be a huge event. Um, and, that's, and that's just at the youth level. So again, you know, we're, we're doing things on so many different levels, whether it be youth, adult games, the cultural side, the different codes that we have, you know, from camogie, hurling, football, uh, even into handball and rounders. So we, we have a whole series of challenges to face. But these are all good challenges yeah. and we shouldn't back away from them. Just uh, with the, the, the concept of sponsorship uh, being fundamental to what this conversation is about, but like when you spend... 5,000 euro, whatever it is that we're going to spend to support this uh, initiative in Brittany, which is great and hard-earned and like, nobody takes money for granted. Um, but when you spend something like that on um, something that has the capacity to touch an awful lot of people's lives, uh, even in a small way, uh, the potential for that coming back in droves is enormous. I mean, in the example, I, I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but it, say, for example, this impacts the lives of maybe a 1,000 kids. And uh, whatever, however many of those kids go on to uh, play a bit of football or have some sort of uh, positive interaction with the, with the sport and with the lifestyle, uh, perhaps maybe down the line they're going to be members of clubs, maybe they're going to be committee members. They're definitely going to be professionals of some sort that are going to be involved in organizations that are separate to the club. Uh, they are developing a deeper and more rooted and integrated, uh, coherent entity. 
just to bring it back to what we were talking about before, coherency, integrity, um, and interconnectivity, really. Uh, once uh, these things are at the, 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 the forefront of, of our minds, then uh, you kind of reap what you sow, as we say, there later. That's why, like, the likes of Ben McAtee and the work that he does, uh, and you don't sort of see the benefits of it, um, you know, right now or even in a year's time or five years' time, but maybe in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, uh, when these things still exist, um, and they're not even connected to the people that initially set them up. Um, that means that it's a thing in itself, and that's uh, that's the goal. You know, any new club that we've seen popping up, um, that is others involved there as well as I was mentioned with Dermot was uh, you know in assisting OC Gales to sort of to motivate them to get going. But Ben is a guy who gets the the paperwork done and the motivation done, the organisation side done. So I mean, we we need. Every organization needs a Ben, you know, um, and, and that's in a good, I'm not saying that in a joking way, I'm saying this in a very serious way. Um, and again, what you said there about like, you know, that this kind of getting kids in early, it is, a, it is a very Irish concept where, you know, get into primary schools and get kids, put a hurl in their hand or get them kicking football or running and then develop them from that to, to grow this love. Um, and it, again, it's, it's something that it bonds us together. Now, I'm going to end off uh, a very, very interesting topic we've discussed, of course, the US presidential election that's just um, still ongoing at the moment. Um, and something that just before we, we went on air, Dermot brought up the thing of that it's very unusual to see partisan uh, news sources and partisan news channels. And using, say, for example, Fox and CNN as, as, a, as an example, and Tony brought up the OAN, the One American News as well. Uh, Tony, I'm going to start with you on this. How do you think that the situation in America is going to affect us in GGE? Right. Um, I haven't expected that one, Alan. But uh, <laughs> um, how to put it? Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. I mean, obviously, it's going to have far more of an impact on, on, on the GA in, in North America and, and, um, and, and in New York. How is it going to affect us immediately? I, I don't see... Um, you know, a direct connection other than in the general macroeconomic framework. Um, and that is so upset by COVID at the moment that it's hard to see the exact linkages, how will one thing impact on the other, etc. So I, I think we're, 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 we're facing into an uncertain period. If Joe Biden's elected. I, I think the, the fact that, uh, which it looks like he will be, um, which I'm happy to say, <laughs> I'm happy to see that. Um, I have no problem putting that on record. You know, it's it, it's likely that you know we will get more of a calmness. I, I mean, you have to draw the links back. So, for instance, you've Brexit. Um, Brexit is going to involve you know perhaps trade links either with Europe or perhaps with the states. All of a sudden, the certain dynamics have changed there. That's going to affect the economic climate. That's going to affect trade. That's going to affect business, and that's going to affect indeed how much money is out there. Although I really do think that at the moment uh, the whole pandemic is going to have a much much bigger and more immediate effect. Um, so uh, yeah, in answer to your question, it's hard to say, but I think there will be some impacts, but they remain to be seen. Okay. Dermot, I mean, you, you are a political watcher. You're very non-aligned. You're kind of like the Yugoslavia of the GGE. Um, what <laughs> you that are, would be the opposite of integrity, Alan. I've worked in a former Yugoslavia, Alan. I'm not sure that is the best uh, illustration. Uh, uh, be that as it may. Um, I didn't call him Marshall. You know what? There is, there's... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's uh, direct funding uh, is the way to go. <laughs> um, I think there is actually something to be said about the way that it could potentially affect GG, uh, not in, a, in the immediate practical sense, but more in terms of um, like legitimacy, now, the con concept of legitimacy. Um, what's really bizarre to me, um, and I, again, uh, I, well, actually, I mean, I have personal distaste for Trump, but I, I, I wouldn't really claim to have a, a deep involvement in it as a, it's outside my, uh, my citizenship. But um, what is bizarre to me is to have uh, the leader of a, a coherent entity like the political system in the United States um, seek to undermine the integrity of that uh, entity um, 
by attacking it through the courts and uh, sort of undermining the legitimacy of its own mechanical election apparatus. And that, to me, erodes um, the confidence and belief that people have in uh, any political structure or any social structure. And to bring it back to GGE, um, if you have people that are steering the show that uh, don't reinforce the positive um, and seek to undermine it, um, it's hard to have legitimacy, integrity, and coherency. And that's uh, a good lesson to take uh, going forward. Just building on that, Chairman, you can see in the states where, you know, where there's been no stress on certain institutions in the past, uh, now there is stress. And it's, you know, it begs the question of what they're going to do to make sure that, that you know, the institutions and the structures are either modified or reformed or updated in order to cope with stresses which were never envisaged when they were designed. Um, it's a bit like the GA was designed for an Irish context uh, back in 1884. And, and now, you know, it, it's become, you know, to some extent, a worldwide organisation, even though, you know, the still there's a huge concentration um, of membership and the financial end of it back in Ireland. But in time, it will grow. And I have seen the attitudes changed over the last two decades, whereas it used to be seen as, you know, the international units. Um, well, first of all, they were called overseas, which I always thought was a bit odd. Um, because Ireland is the rock in the middle of an ocean and, you know, a lot of us in Europe would consider ourselves in the mainland. But anyway, uh, you know, it, Europe led the way in getting, getting the words overseas sort of expunged from the rule books, although it's taking a long time to get them out of the culture. Uh, but we now talk about international units. But if the GA really grows to its full potential, there'll come a time when Ireland is just another part of it. And, uh, you know, it will not yeah, be a that has to be the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It has to. I, I mean, I mean, if, I it's, say, if it's to be, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to I've been saying this for years back home. People used to laugh at me. Um, nowadays, they don't laugh. They still are, you know, you might get a, you know, a slightly laconic smile or whatever. I think sometimes that's fear by the fact that they realise that, you know, this is going to be an inevitability if GA keeps growing worldwide. And that presents challenges for an organisation which is deeply rooted in one culture. Um, and it's going to be, you know, it, there's going to be battles along the way in order to truly internationalise the organisation. Um, and whether we end up with something like, you know, your FIFA, but yet your four countries, the four home countries, who actually set the playing rules. Um, you know, that's one that's one model. And then you look at cricket, where you've, you, 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 know, you have different stages of memberships and things like that. I mean, we have yet to have all those debates, really, as in how we really want to see it designed. And at the moment, uh, and for a number of years, you know, it's been about trying to, I, I think there was an element of trying to keep it under control. Whereas sometimes you have to let things grow and it's the organic growth that will shape the organisation rather than any central function trying to control the organisation. So again, things will evolve. And, and, you know, we've seen in Europe how we've evolved from, you know, one simple committee that did everything when we were small to now we have regions and we now have subcommittees for different topics and things like that. But that may change again. You know, when you ask the question in the next 10 years, I, I would imagine next 10 years, the structures will have changed and evolved even more by then. Uh, how, in what direction? You know, hard to, hard to say exactly, nor right. should any of us have a particular, you know, black and white view of how things should be. It's going to be a wonderful load of colour with all sorts of mess along the way, but it will eventually, you know, it'll, it'll shape and evolve in time, depending on the people who are involved in shaping it. You know, it's funny um, how uh, the, the different, type, different modes of interactions that I've had with uh, people since it's been clear to them that I've been kind of relatively serious about the, the way I've gone about my business uh, in Valencia, doing my best on the county board now as well. At home, like, I mean, a good friend of mine is uh, is heavily involved with the Carlo Miners, and, you know, he's the PRO for a local club. And um, he's been out several times to Valencia, uh, obviously to visit me and have a couple of points, but, you know, also to try and... Um, uh, not necessarily learn from what we're doing. Uh, there's no way that we're going to be teaching them anything. However, um, it's for him, it's been refreshing every time that he's been out because uh, the, 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 the essential core of uh, the club in Valencia, while on a footballing level, it might be anywhere near the quality of, uh, obviously, Carl Miners, but even like, you know, probably the junior seaside in Old Auckland. But... Uh, the kind of 
positivity and the feeling of uh, authenticity uh, and the, the volunteerism that is sort of independent of uh, obligation is something that uh, he misses when he's at home. Uh, something uh, and something that he definitely feels is, is something we have to contribute. It's a freshness. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's devoid of shackles of, uh, as I say, obligation, multi-generational kind of uh, necessity. Um, and that's been really uh, refreshing for him. So you could say, yeah, on a footballing level, that should be no contest if O'Loughlin came to play against Valencia. Uh, but I wonder, do they, the guys who are training four nights a week in O'Loughlin and ultra at the winter, are they enjoying being part of their club as much as the guys in Valencia are, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think so, to be honest. But yeah. I never played senior football for all that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that said many a time, Jeremy, you know, especially when people weren't come out to us. What they love is the enthusiasm, the freshness, and the genuine just, you know, trying to you know, build something where nothing existed before. I mean, when you're involved in clubs in Ireland, we sort of take it for granted, but we're standing on the, on the shoulders of our, of our ancestors who built the clubs and probably oh, had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably had those. I mean, I, my own club in Kula, back in 26 years ago, 27 years ago, we started the juvenile section with 14 kids in a room. That club has now grown to, uh, 25 years later, um, two and a half thousand members. Now, I was secretary of the club at the time, so I know it had a couple of hundred members at most, and they were mostly older people who were no longer players. The club was you know, on its last legs, they, virtually, and uh, a chap called Damien Byrne, who was the first full-time games promotion officer uh, in Dublin, and myself and a few others, we started a juvenile section, as it was called, and then there was the hall on a Saturday morning. And that eventually built up where they now have waiting lists. They only take, uh, I forget what it is, 150 kids at each age group each year. So they've almost waiting lists to deal with it. Uh, and in fact, they've had to spawn another club nearby in order just to cope with the numbers. But I mean, when we couldn't put out one juvenile team 25 years ago, that, you know, that wasn't, we weren't even dreaming of things like that. But over time, these things have emerged. And what's brilliant is that some of the people involved um, who will never have played for the club, but indeed, and we, we talked about it earlier on, it was the parents of young people and all who got involved. They brought the club up to another level, as Jeremy was saying as well, when you get people involved like that. That opened doorways to other sponsors. So they have a whole range of sponsors now. Uh, in fact, that, that club has more sponsors than we have in Europe, far more. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. but, but again, you know, you can see all, you can connect the dots from what we've been saying o over the last while. That, and this is, the, you know, Europe will develop and it'll develop differently in every club, in every country, in every region. When I was speaking, I did an interview with uh, Paul Kimmage and he not pulled me up, but he mentioned the word pure. Oh, well, I said pure. He said, why do you like GAA in Moscow? Why are you enjoying it? Why are you involved in it? And I said, it's pure. And when he asked me to define pure, I couldn't. And he then went on uh, for about 10 minutes describing what a, GAA, a big GAA club in Dublin is about and winning and so on and so forth. Do you think in Europe it's pure? It's funny, you know, I mean, obviously, um, by the same token, you're not like living independent of the world, you know. So, I mean, there's no um, group of uh, people on the face of the planet that doesn't have um, its own internal tensions and, uh, you know, pollution of uh, the, the, the core concept which underpins their connection. Largely unfretted from the shackles of necessity uh, on a European level that while at the same time, I mean, like on the pitch, it's serious. Of course, it's serious. You know I mean, like anytime you walk, put on a pair of boots, you're there to win the game. Um, and you train all the time, uh, ostensibly with the purpose of going out to win the game. In Europe, to me, uh, though, the commonality of purpose that everybody has uh, when they meet together from lots of different teams that have all been trying to set up and struggling to set up club to facilitate training to go out to win the game there's a kind of a, an honesty of connection and relation between like ourselves in Barcelona ourselves in Madrid uh, because at the end of the day we're all groups of people trying to build something uh, in a context to which it is fundamentally foreign and that gives a kind of an honesty and a purity of uh, understanding 
uh, between people. And I think that's the real purity as such. I mean, like in, in Ireland, I would actually see this whole thing as being a, yeah, sure, we're playing with the same balls and uh, and the same boots. But like this, the thing that people are trying to build in a, in a, on, on a European level is it, it couldn't be further away from from the struggles of Kula, you know? Yeah. And all exactly. that. And you, yeah. you'd agree with that, Tony, that that's something you've, you've spoken yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think, yeah, the, the word pure sort of captures it in many ways. And indeed, you know, it's, it's, it's ironic that we would even be talking about. I, I see some clubs where there's an increasing emphasis on the winning, whereas you have other clubs who did the, the increase, you know, the emphasis on building the membership, um, you know, with, with the games at the centre of it, but their ambitions are different. And that's fine because clubs will, will reflect their members and how long they've been involved and, you know, whether they're more um, new, new to the games or they have a lot of experience, etc. And that's all fine. And I mean, that's the challenge for, for Gigi always is, you know, you know, on competition structure. We are a game-based organisation, so we always have to come back to the games. But providing the opportunities for people to play at the level or even in the intensity they desire. Um, I mentioned there about, you know, my own club now, we've recruited over 40 over the past six months. And I know like about 20, you know, about half of them are really focused on developing in the game and, and, and winning. But, you know, the other half are there for pro- probably for the socialization aspects. They enjoy going to the training. Um, if they get a run in a match, that's great. And they enjoy that too. Uh, but they're almost more focused on, on, on meeting up every week for the training and having the, you know, the, the banter during training and, you know, sometimes going for a drink afterwards and things like that. So the, the purity that's there allows for a whole range of different things. And I think that's what's wonderful. And indeed, it's, it's energized, you know, even someone as, as who's been around a long time, as Jade and myself, you know, have been involved in, in, in GA for you know, what, over three decades now. But every time I think about Europe, I get a fresh burst of enthusiasm and energy and motivation. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what the purity is. Um, it just, when you were talking about um, that kind of different focus, that, that's definitely true, but it's more... Uh, for me, what's really interesting and, and, and really resonant between people that are in different cities all throughout Europe, uh, but all of them trying to be engaged in some level, it's that kind of move from passivity to being engaged. Uh, and that could have the goal of growing the numbers of the club, improving the team, uh, mm-hmm. improving the quality of the tournament, whatever it is. But everybody's kind of uh, being positive, essentially. And yeah. that creates the capacity for honesty, integrity of the uh, of communication and, 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 and fraternity and solidarity, you know? And uh, I mean, like for me, like say, it's my sixth year with Valencia. And um, I mean, obviously I'm great friends with the guys that have been there for a long time and I've had many, many friends come and go uh, through the years. But I'd say that probably some of my closest friends in Spain um, are obviously in the club, but also in Barcelona, in Madrid, uh, in Galicia, um, and really what probably is the, the bridge for that connection, the mental move of uh, people echoing each other's lifestyles in a way is like we're all foreigners in a foreign place, but we're all trying to make the same positive contribution. And that kind of connects people. And there's a purity in that. And on, on that, I'm going to wrap up and because uh, we're being very pure. So keep your thoughts pure as I ask you. Um, I'll start off with you, Jeremy. Final question. What would you like to find wrapped or unwrapped under your Christmas tree this year? Donald Trump in a Valencia jersey for the over 35s league that we're bringing into Iberia. Okay, yeah, there's a, that, that, that was that. <laughs> that was a very pregnant pause. <laughs> I hope it's going to be an orange kit or whatever. Um, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it'll be an orange pitch as well that he'll be sponsoring. Tony, exact same question to you. What, what, what would you love to find? And again, be keep this as clean as possible. <laughs> I thought Jeremy was wavering off on something else, but he didn't. He, he saves at the end. Tony, what would you like to see wrapped or unwrapped under your Christmas tree this, uh, this Christmas day? A hundred vouchers for um, a set of kit for every club in the in Europe. <laughs> that, they have good resale value anyway. So we, we yeah. <laughs> Alan, you, you get to ask all the questions here. What do you want under your Christmas tree? <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, my other half will be listening to this, so I have to be very careful what I say. Um, right, and on that note, we no. Uh, what, <laughs> I, do you know what I, I love? I would absolutely love this year. I would. I, I want to get. Um, uh, I can't get it in Russia. Champagne football, that book. That sounds so boring, but I want to read the book Champagne Football uh, about John Delaney and the FAI. So. Um, oh yeah. That's now okay. I, I, we're not going to start on discussing because I have to go get a train tonight. So, <laughs> but that's what I would love. That's what I would. I really yeah. love. My You're mom, in danger now. Get twenty copies of it, Alan. I tell yeah. you, I hope. Yeah. Look, if people do, it'd be great because I yeah. need reading material. <laughs> to to both the dearmas, Tony. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, thank you so much for the support you've both given me personally uh, as a as a person and uh, as a colleague during the year. Massively appreciated. And uh, let's let's look forward to a, a, a better year ahead than 2020. Yeah, Alan, if I could just say before you finish up, um, just to thank everybody who's involved in clubs, committees, uh, region, whether it's be at a, at a local level or regional level or a European level. Uh, without the volunteers, without the activists, uh, we wouldn't have an organisation. We wouldn't have the games. And just to say that, I, I thank everyone for their efforts. Uh, and respect all, all of their input into Gaelic Games, including yourself. I think the podcast has been singularly one of our biggest successes of the year. And Alan, you should really uh, bask in the, in the reflected glory of having done something that's entirely in, innovative in GA terms in Europe and something that has been great and has helped to keep us all clued in and linked together during these difficult times. So again, thanks to everybody who's been involved. Yeah, obviously echo Tony's sentiments but uh, the podcast has been a fantastic success aside from that obviously uh, next Saturday we've got a convention coming up and anybody who's listening to this um, throughout the continent uh, as a club member you're entitled to not necessarily vote but you can definitely participate in some sort of level and I would strongly encourage you to do so get in in touch with your club secretary with the chairperson of the club and find out a way to do it because this is these are the bonds that tie us all together. And if your club is not planning on voting, speak to your secretary, speak to your chairperson, even if you spoil your vote, even if you don't really have an interest uh, specifically in the candidates, get involved. This is part of who you are. Um, and this is part of the reason for your club to exist. So uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you all next Saturday. As the final whistle blows on this episode of this Sunday's game, we'd like to thank Tony and Dermot for their time and patience in getting the show together and for their time and support for this Sunday's game this year. To echo what Dermot said, this Saturday is GGE's convention. We'll be putting out information and news from it across our social media, so stay tuned. And next Sunday, we will begin the first of a two-part special on Centenary of Bloody Sunday with some excellent guests. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.